Welcome to the Unmade Podcast, looking at media and marketing from an Australian perspective. I'm Tim Burrows. Recently, I published my first book, Media Unmade. It quickly became an Amazon bestseller. It's the story of Australian media's most disruptive decade. It's published by Hardy Grant, and you can buy it at all good bookshops and online. In the coming weeks, I'll be sharing the full audio edition of the book here on the Unmade podcast. Coming up is the next chapter. Now remember, only Unmade's paying subscribers get to hear every chapter. If you haven't already, you can sign up at unmade.media. As well as supporting my work as an independent journalist, you'll receive exclusive industry analysis in both written and podcast form. And once you sign up, you'll still be able to get our paid podcasts inside the app of your choice. It only takes a couple of clicks. Now, on with the book. Chapter 23. Billionaire Elephants. In which Anthony Catalano becomes a newspaper baron, and Nine sells its events business and takes control of Sydney and Melbourne's top radio stations, after which Alan Jones soon departs, as does Nine's Hugh Marks, his great innings marred by one false move. The thing about creating Australia's biggest media company is that there are plenty of loose ends, and with the takeover of Fairfax Media complete, 2019 was going to be Nine's year of tying them up. First on the list was getting rid of the community papers. While Chris Jans's blue team had come up with a plan to save the three Metro titles of the Australian Financial Review, The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald, it did not extend to the local and regional papers. A large holding in a declining medium like local newspapers would depress the share price, even if their contribution to local communities was vital. So Nine put Australian Community Media Group, the old rural press under a new name, on the block. As Nine boss Hugh Marks put it, the sale of ACM is aligned with our strategy to exit non-core businesses and to focus on Nine's portfolio of high-growth digital assets. There were a lot of treasures within ACM. Some of Australia's most respected regional titles, like the Canberra Times, the Newcastle Herald, Illawarra Mercury and Bendigo Advertiser, local weeklies from every state, and a stable of agricultural titles, such as the venerable Farmer's Bible, The Land. Altogether, there were 160 titles. Included in the sale were the remaining printing presses that had come with the Fairfax merger. Nine's Metro newspapers would all be printed under contract in the future. No longer being weighed down by the fixed cost of print works was the economic key to the Metro papers' healthier future. The deal was announced on the 30th of April 2019. The buyer was Anthony Catalano. In the space of nine years... He had gone from being retrenched to launching a real estate magazine in Melbourne 
to becoming Australia's newest media mogul. In partnership with Alex Wastelist from Thorny Investment Group, Catalano agreed to pay $115 million. The influence that comes with owning local newspapers is immense. Catalano had joined the small number of media proprietors guaranteed to get any call rapidly returned by any politician. Over the following months, more of Catalano's plan would emerge. Given his history, few people were surprised that it involved real estate. He took a 72% stake in property portal Real Estate View. Compared to Domain and REA Group, it was a minnow, but had the potential to grow fast. In July 2020, ACM unveiled a partnership with Real Estate View that offered agents and vendors a package to list online and in print. And alongside Real Estate View came view.com.au, which had ambitions to go after all the classified verticals, such as cars and jobs. Catalano aimed for his point of difference to be his regional reach. It put him up against some powerful competitors. Before James Warburton had returned to the helm of Seven, Catalano had been talking to Kerry and Ryan Stokes about a partnership on the Real Estate View project, with REA Group aligned to News Corp and Domain to Nine, a partnership would make sense. As part of his plan to become a regional powerhouse, Catalano also had his eye on regional TV operator Prime Media, although there were regulatory issues to overcome about the media ownership rules, which would not allow any acquisition to reduce the number of separate media voices in regional areas to below four. But when Warburton arrived, he had a different strategy to that of his predecessor, Tim Warner. He wanted Prime, which was Seven's regional affiliate, as part of the organisation, and in October put forward a merger offer to the regional Minnows shareholders. The Australian Competition and Consumer Commission decided to give the Prime merger the green light, but Catalano intervened. Along with Wastelist, the cat swooped in to pick up nearly 15% of Prime ahead of the shareholders' vote. They found common cause with Wynn Corporation owner Bruce Gordon, who owned nearly 20% of Prime and had 11.6% of the voting shares. Gordon believed that the merger did not offer him enough value. If Seven had improved the deal just a little, it probably would have got it done. When the Prime shareholders voted in mid-December, 53.5% were against the merger, enough to block it. Australia would have to wait a little longer for its first national TV company with both a metro and regional operation. Hours later, Seven announced a deal with Spheria Asset Management. It issued Spheria with shares in Seven West Media in exchange for its 14.9% stake in Prime. While we're disappointed with the outcome of today's vote, we remain committed to Prime, said Warburton. Seven and the Prime board were livid with Catalano and Gordon. It was the last day on the board for John Hardigan, who was retiring as chairman of Prime. The former News Limited boss complained, I think it's a dreadful shame for the company that two big shareholders running their own agendas 
which aren't aligned in any way with the majority of shareholders on our register, have used this company as a plaything. One of the people I ran into the other day likened it to a couple of billionaire elephants scrapping around for effectively peanuts. Because if you look at our market cap, it's in the mid 60 millions. Today was to be a life raft for us and two shareholders have hijacked that opportunity. And the sands shifted a little more in March 2021, with Bruce Gordon deciding his interests were better served by tying his fortunes to nine. He agreed a deal in which his wind TV stations would once again carry the nine signal from the 1st of July. Gordon had switched to 10 back in 2016, after bulking at paying 9, 50% of his advertising revenues. But five years of low-rating 10 shows changed his mind. Wynn's deal spelled bad news for Southern Cross or Stereo, which had previously been the 9 affiliate and was now stuck with 10. 7 and Prime still had a couple of years to run on their affiliate deal. With his decision to get back in bed with 9, Gordon agreed to sell some of his shares in Prime to Catalano. The same week the new affiliate arrangements were announced, Catalano and business partner Wastelist revealed the deal with Gordon had increased their stake in Prime to nearly 20%, making them the biggest shareholder. Catalano's plan was taking shape. Project Melvin For nine, there were more loose ends. Whatever vision Greg Highwood and Andrew McAvoy had held for the connection between large-scale events and newspapers was not shared by the Nine Management, who put the former Fairfax Entertainment and Events Division up for sale. Once again, the project received its code name from an animal on General Counsel Rachel Launders's favourite Instagram account, Wolfgang2242. This time, it was Project Edna, after an adorable white poodle. The prime event in the portfolio was the City to Surf race. Also on the block was the Sydney Morning Herald Half Marathon, the Carmen's Women's Fun Run in Melbourne, Sydney's Spring Cycle and the Melbourne Corporate Triathlon. The sale was overseen by Nine's former Chief Digital and Marketing Officer, Alex Parsons, who returned to the company after two years away to run the process. Endurance race company Ironman bought the division for $31 million in May 2019. The final loose end was Project Melvin, named after a lovable elderly dachshund with a fear of heights, also on the Wolfgang2242 Instagram account. Project Melvin was the takeover of Macquarie Media. As part of the Fairfax merger, Nine had ended up with 54.5% of the ASX-listed radio company. Former adman John Singleton owned 32.4%, while his business partner Mark Carnegie held 3.6%. Macquarie Media included the market-leading AM radio stations 2GB in Sydney and 3AW in Melbourne. It also owned 4BC in Brisbane and 6PR in Perth. In Sydney, Alan Jones dominated the breakfast ratings, but his outspoken, right-leaning views regularly led to calls for advertising boycotts. In August 2018, Jones used the N-word live on air, and a year later, 
in an attack on New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern's position on climate change, he called for Australian PM Scott Morrison to shove a sock down her throat. Nine months later, the Australian Communications and Media Authority rarely moved fast. The broadcasting watchdog decided that Jones's comment had breached broadcasting rules, but took no further action. There had also been an expensive defamation payout by the radio network after Jones made wild claims about who was responsible for the Grantham flood in Queensland. Nine finally made its move to take control of the group, activating Project Melvin in August 2019. The bid valued the company at $275 million. We are big believers in the power of Macquarie's talk radio network and in its people, said Marks in the ASX announcement. A team who together drive debate and speak up so often for so many Australians. We look forward to the future growth of the business with the full backing of Nine. The Macquarie Media Board backed the deal, and shareholders voted in favour, with Project Melvin wrapped up in November. The new boss of Nine Radio, as Macquarie Media rebranded, was former Today and 60 Minutes executive producer Tom Malone. For the past three years, Malone had been running nine sports operation, including overseeing the switch from cricket to tennis. Top of the agenda for Malone was what to do about Alan Jones, who had signed another two-year contract in May 2019. With the risk of another faux pas always present, Jones was unlikely to get another renewal next time around. Thanks to an advertiser boycott over the sock-down-her-throat comments, Macquarie Media's profits had slipped badly just before the takeover, with soon-to-be-former CEO Adam Lang announcing that the profit drop was 16.4%. The 78-year-old Jones, who had been broadcasting from his home in the Southern Highlands during the coronavirus pandemic, perhaps read the room. He asked Malone and his agent Nick Fordham to drive out to see him. My doctor has advised me that it will be detrimental to my health to continue broadcasting, he informed Malone. Malone agreed for Jones to step down, so long as he didn't work for another radio station until the contract expired. He took a nightly slot on Sky News instead. It was a smooth transition. Nine presented the timing as entirely of Jones's choosing. In turn, Jones gave his imprimatur to Malone's choice of replacement, drive-time host Ben Fordham, recording trailers urging his listeners to stick around. Fordham was a change of direction. The original succession plan was for 65-year-old morning host Ray Hadley to take the slot. The 43-year-old Fordham represented a long-awaited generational change. The big question was whether Jones's listeners would stick by the more moderate Fordham. There was also a transition to manage in Melbourne, where John Burns was retiring from his top-rating 3AW breakfast show alongside Ross Stevenson. The network made the inspired choice of Russell Howcroft as the replacement. Howcroft's first career had been in advertising agencies before becoming a household name as a panellist on the ABC's The Gruen Transfer. Howcroft had spent plenty of time around commercial media, including a short stint as acting CEO of 10 when James Warburton got fired. 
Thanks to the pandemic, Fordham and Howcroft had longer to find their feet because radio ratings surveys were postponed for much of 2020. When they finally resumed and the results were released in October 2020, Nine Radio learned that it had pulled off both transitions. Fordham was number one for breakfast with a 17.3% share in Sydney. And the first outing of the Ross Stevenson and Russell Howcroft show resonated with lockdown Melburnians, pulling in an enormous 26.1% share of the listening audience. Waking up with today. It took a bit less than a year for Nine to admit that it had made a mistake dropping Karl Stefanovic from today after 14 years. Since the decision at the end of 2018 in response to tabloid coverage of his second marriage, ratings had tanked. The new lineup of Georgie Gardner, Deb Knight and Tom Steinfurt attracted just 197,000 Metro viewers on their first day, well below the 300,000-plus audience that Stefanovic and Lisa Wilkinson had regularly delivered. It continued to stay below 200,000. On some days, Seven Sunrise pulled in double its numbers. The show wasn't helped by poor chemistry between the hosts and sports reporter Tony Jones. In one excruciating exchange from a racetrack, Jones berated his colleagues over their suggestions for typically Australian snacks and belittled Knight when she tried to lighten the mood by suggesting he could have brought his dog along. Deb, we're at a racetrack, Jones sneered sarcastically. Probably not a great idea to bring the dog, I wouldn't have thought. Instead of stories about Stefanovic's relationship, Nine was plagued by stories about today's ratings failure and the awkwardness between hosts. Because his contract still had time to run, Stefanovic was still working for Nine, mainly on 60 Minutes. You don't normally get second chances in television, but in November 2019, Nine asked him back onto Today, pairing him with Alison Langdon. It's a big job with enormous pressures, and I know only too well some of those pitfalls, but it is also, without question, the best live job in Australia, said Stefanovic. The best way to use the skills I have is the live show format, and I missed the Today Show. I missed it a lot. The show and the audience make me feel alive. And there were changes at Seven Sunrise too. The company was now small enough to shrink from three bases in Sydney to one. First, the management shifted from the funky warehouse vibe of Piermont to its offices at the Australian Technology Park in Evely. And in March 2021, Seven announced that it will be moving its morning shows and Seven News Team out of its glass-fronted studios in Martin Place to Evely too. However, Sunrise presenter Samantha Armitage would not be joining them for the move away from Brecky Central. After an increasingly fractious relationship with the press, particularly with gossip columnists Annette Sharp from News Corp and Andrew Hornery from the Sydney Morning Herald, along with Daily Mail Australia, Armitage quit the show, telling viewers on her last day, I do want to say that I never fully understood some of the scrutiny and the snarkiness and the bullying from some aspects of the media. 
Severn replaced Armitage with long-time newsreader Natalie Barr. Independent always? At nine, the growth was coming from streaming. In the 2020 financial year, Nine Now, the ad-supported streaming platform, grew its revenue by 32% to $81.7 million. And subscription service Stan finally turned profitable. In August 2020, Nine revealed that Stan had passed 2 million subscribers and grown revenue from $157.1 million to $242.1 million. For the financial year, it made its first profit, $17.9 million. In a profile of Stan Boss, Mike Sneesby, published that month by Nine's Australian Financial Review, he received an extraordinary endorsement from his biggest rival, Netflix co-founder Reed Hastings. I hate him, I hate him, Hastings told the Australian Financial Review. He is the most effective competitor we've got anywhere in the world. It's absolutely incredible on his tiny budget. His service works really well. They've got over 2 million members. We've got a lot of similar companies in different markets that want to compete with Netflix. And, sadly for me, he is hands down the most effective and best operator. I'm mostly impressed. Initially, the transition of the newspapers over to Nine also went smoothly with Chris Jans remaining at the helm of the business, James Chessel in editorial control of the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, and Michael Stutchbury, editor-in-chief of the Australian Financial Review. In May 2019 came the symbolic moment when the company announced that it was bringing sub-editing back in-house for its three metro newspapers. The company ended its contract with AAP's Pagemasters and created 24 new subbing positions. In the announcement, Chessel said, Subscribers expect quality and having our production resources as part of the same team will improve our ability to edit and present our journalism. It was also welcomed by Journalists Union, the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, who said, We always question the wisdom and economics of the outsourcing to Pagemasters, and it seems Nine has agreed. Hopefully it will be beneficial for readers, as we'll see an improvement in the quality of the paper's products. But then Nine made a big blunder. Probably Hugh Marks' biggest since the 60 Minutes Beirut child snatch fiasco. In September 2019, he hosted a $10,000 per ticket fundraiser for the Liberal Party at the company's Willoughby Studios. It reflected the way that television networks do business. All those licence fee reductions and law changes don't happen by magic. But it was anathema to the former Fairfax journalists who championed their independence. And it created even more smoke around fears that the newspapers would move to the right under nine, where the chairman was former Liberal treasurer Peter Costello. To the credit of the company, news of the fundraiser was broken by its own journalists. The House committees of the three newspapers wrote to Marx and Jans. The former Fairfax mastheads have a long history of political independence. If this has changed, and we are now associated with the Liberal Party, this should be conveyed to staff. A decision to host fundraisers for Labour or other political parties would be of equal concern. 
we strongly object to our reputation for independent journalism being compromised by the hosting of political party fundraisers. This can only serve to make the job of working journalists more difficult. Our mastheads have done much to expose the corrupting influence of money on politics. It is vitally important that we remain independent of the political process. Two days later, Marx admitted that the fundraiser had been a mistake, admitting the event could have been handled better. The own goal would not blow over entirely, offered by critics of the newspapers in the following months as evidence whenever they claimed they detected shifts to the right in the paper's editorial positions. In November 2020, Marx passed his five-year anniversary in charge of the company. A few days later, I interviewed him as part of the research for this book. He gave no clue that his time in charge was coming to an end. A few days later, his hand was forced, creating a messy finale to what had been a near-perfect half-decade, certainly the best performance of any media company CEO in Australia during that period. In October, the company had slipped out an announcement that the company's M&A lead, Alexi Baker, the woman who had played a significant role in the merger and the sports rights deals, was leaving. Rather than a formal press release, it went out as a staff email, briefly covered in the Australian Financial Review. With the big deals done and the business in such a great position, I think it's time for me to explore what is next in my career, said the note from Baker. At the time, her exit seemed simply a signal that Nine was not planning any more big deals. In truth, a major factor in her choice to depart was that she was in the early stages of a relationship with Marx, who had parted with his wife some time before. It certainly wasn't a scandal. Unlike the Tim Warner and Amber Harrison saga at Seven, there was no suggestion of impropriety. But Marx was a target for rival News Corp. The Sunday Telegraph had already published long-lens photographs of Marx having lunch in a park with his executive assistant and was chasing rumours about Marx and Baker. At the annual general meeting, Costello had knocked back concerns from shareholders about the Sunday Telegraph story. In mid-November, Marx got wind that the Sunday Telegraph was working on an article breaking the news of his relationship with Baker. He had already been planning on leaving his $1.55 million per year job after the company's new headquarters in North Sydney officially opened at the end of 2020, but was yet to make a decision on timing. He placed a spoiler in the Saturday edition of the Sydney Morning Herald, telling his gossip columnist Andrew Hornery that Baker had left so they could progress their relationship unimpeded by working together. Over the weekend, Matters rapidly came to a head as the board got involved in what became a fractious meeting and appeared to be divided as to how to handle the matter. An upset Marx decided to bring forward his resignation announcement. During an interview with The Australian over the weekend, he broke down in tears and talking to the Sydney Morning Herald, he said, Was somebody out to get me? I don't know. I don't really care. It was an imperfect end to a near-perfect innings. That was the latest chapter of my narration of my book, Media Unmade. You can buy the book online and at all good bookstores. 
I hope you enjoyed it. Remember, if you want to hear all future chapters, you'll need to be a paying subscriber of Unmade. You can sign up at unmade.media. That's the URL, simply unmade.media. Once you do, it only takes a couple of clicks to add the paid-for feed to the podcast app of your choice. The book was written and recorded in Northwest Tasmania on the land of the Palawa people. This podcast is produced with the enthusiastic help of Abe's Audio. For voiceovers and audio production, from corporate to commercial, go to abesaudio.com.au. I'll be back with the next chapter soon. Toodle pip.